Hey everyone, you're listening to the Tab Geeks podcast. My name is Jesse Nolan. I'm your host and the co-founder of Tab Geeks. My guest today is Emily Edgley, a public speaking coach, and our topic is public speaking in tech. Emily, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Jesse. And uh, this is one of those times in podcasting where the first time went abysmally terrible. <laughs> we were trying to record from Dubai, which we later found out, or you were trying to record from Dubai, right? Which we yeah. later found out. Turns out they're blocking, what is it, all VoIP traffic? I think so, yeah, or encrypted traffic, something like that. Well, for anybody who is in Dubai and is trying to figure out how to make a phone call, we were able to do it for a little while over the podcast recording app in Anchor, which was really interesting. Unfortunately, that didn't save either, though, so there must have been some kind of weird magic going on in there. Uh, So the first segment that we do uh, is that we like to go back in time and explore how everyone got into technology because there is no set path into doing what we do. Yours, I'm sure, is quite different given that you are now in public speaking in tech. So uh, why don't you give us the history and take us back in time to the beginning? How did you get into tech and where you are today? Yeah, sure. So for me, my path went like this. Out of school, I really had no idea what I wanted to do, but I knew what I liked doing. And what I liked was maths because I'm a very black and white person and I like the fact that maths is very black and white. So I did a maths degree and sort of a similar theme at the end of my maths degree. I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do with it, but I had come across a presentation on cryptography and cryptography is the art of, you know, concealing information. And I found that fascinating. I found it fascinating because I love the idea of the whole sort of cat and mouse element of trying to get one step ahead of the bad guys, if you want to call it that. And so I enrolled in a Master's of Information Security. And at the end of that, I was very lucky to sort of fall into what was my dream job at the time. So I had applied for a couple of graduate positions at the banks here in Australia, and I had got one at one of the big banks, and they actually let me start in an information security risk role. So that was essentially how I got my first foot in the door. And I spent about nine years in cybersecurity roles, helping the bank understand its cybersecurity threats, how well we were mitigating, sorry, mitigating those with controls. And then obviously, therefore, what we needed to do in terms of any remediation, any funding for large programs, et cetera. So then what made you want to get out of the cybersecurity space? I mean, that's the, that's the hottest space there is right now. That's where the big bucks are. What happened? Yeah. Well, the thing is, whenever I do something, I always put 100% into it. So for me, I loved security pretty much because of what you've said is that it it's such an interesting area. There's so much happening. There's incidents every day. So it wasn't so much that the, the industry was boring. It was more that as I was progressing in my career, I was finding out a little bit more about things like how do people tick and how do you influence stakeholders and how do you inspire and lead an organization. And things like that were piquing my interest a lot more than the security side of things because really at the end of the day, the thing that I realized was a lot of the issues that one has, 
to be honest, whether it's security or technology or probably in other industries as well, is not actually to do with the deep security knowledge or the deep technical knowledge. It's really to do with influencing behaviours and trying to get along with people. And so for me, when I started to learn techniques that would help me to influence people and would help me to communicate something, I felt like I had found the sort of, you know, the, the golden keys, if you want to call it that. And it, it came to, a, I suppose, a point where I had accreditations that I needed to keep up, international accreditations for security. And you have to go to, I suppose you have to complete credits to maintain that accreditation. And in order to keep the credits or get the credits every year, you have to either do online webinars or go to events or go to conferences and show that you're maintaining your skills. And for me, it got to a point where my accreditations were about to lapse and, you know, I was madly sort of rushing around and scrambling to, to figure out how I was going to get these extra CPE credits so that my accreditation wouldn't lapse. And I thought to myself at that point, why am I at this point? Surely if I'm at this point where my accreditations are about to lapse, it must be a sign that I'm not actually as interested as I was in the past. So I think that was a big revelation for me that perhaps my passion for security was waning and that my head and my heart were pulling me in a different direction. And the other thing was at the time I was helping I was doing a lot of volunteer work. So I was doing work outside of my paid work. I sat on a board, a non-for-profit board that helped to get women into technology. And I ran their mentoring program for a couple of years uh, as part of that. And it was quite an intensive amount of time. I mean, you're talking at least, you know, five to 10 hours a week extra on top of my day job. And another thing that I was also doing was I was volunteering on a Toastmasters committee. And for me, those two, even though I wasn't getting paid at all, were providing me so much more interest and I was getting, you know, it was a lot more rewarding than my actual paid career was. And I think those two things combined made me really just rethink what do I actually want to do with my career and where am I getting the most joy and passion from? That uh, must have been terrifying to think about leaving what was a stable position at the time. Mm, not, no, I've never found... Not for you? Not, not for me, no, not, not at all terrifying. Much more intriguing if I was going to give it any sort of a label for me the pull towards something that was bringing me a lot more excitement and joy was far greater than any fear or trepidation I had about leaving a secure industry where I had built a great reputation and I had a whole wealth of knowledge. So yeah, for me, I've always been pulled a lot more than, than I suppose been afraid about what, what might happen. Uh, personally, if I was in that situation, I would be uh, endlessly torn about what to do. Yeah, no, <laughs> that's I mean, not uh, that's not one of my skill sets. <laughs> no, I do, I definitely there was. I mean, it took it, it. It didn't happen overnight. That's for sure. It it was something that I think I mold on for even a couple of years potentially. About you know, like thinking about what was next and thinking that I I didn't really ever want to. Uh, 
I'm very determined and I like to climb sort of a corporate ladder. But for me, if I looked up that ladder, even sort of, you know, visualizing that, and I thought about what was ahead of me in the security area, I didn't really want to be a chief information security officer, as an example. So for me, I knew that I needed to go somewhat sideways. I just didn't know what that sideways step was at the time. So I put in a lot of time as, you know, we do when we're trying to figure out what our next steps are in thinking about, well, what could that actually be? And for me, I just decided I would broaden my skills. It didn't really matter what it was, but I would just get some broader technology skills or management skills or business skills that would help me leapfrog into something else and hopefully I would figure it out along the way. And that's essentially what I did. So I moved from security into a digital tech area and I managed the operations for that for about a year and a half. And during that time, I then figured out what my next step was going to be. So during this time, you're still volunteering on the Toastmasters uh, group and and the other volunteer work. So you're already in and doing public speaking. How did you realize that that was uh, applicable to tech? Obviously, Mm -hmm. we all suck at it, so we appreciate the help. (laughs) But how did you realize that that was your passion? That's what you wanted to go into. Yeah, I think so for me, a massive element, Jesse, was the fact that I really struggled with it myself. So if I just take you even all the way back to when I was three years old and I went to kindergarten with my mum on the first day of three-year-old kindergarten, she dropped me off. And of course, I was a bit of a uh, clingy, you know, nervous wreck. And she came back, I think it was only four hours later because it was half a day. And I was, the teacher said, oh, Emily spent the whole morning under the table hiding under the beanbag. Oh, no. And uh, <laughs> my mum was appalled that I was that shy, that I, I couldn't even interact with anyone, that she didn't put me into three-year-old kinder for that whole year and she just kept me at home. Now, if you, you know, think about how difficult public speaking would be for a child that, that had that sort of beginning, it, it definitely didn't come easy for me and I had to do a lot of – I had to go on a massive journey myself. So I had to put myself through – lots of different public speaking classes, getting recorded. I got a one-on-one coach. I joined Toastmasters myself. I went through the 10 competent communicator speeches. Then I went through and did storytelling, advanced storytelling speeches. I listened to the most amazing presenters via TED Talks. I read books. I mean, I literally immersed myself as much as I could in the people that did this the best and I just pushed myself out of my comfort zone so that I would get better. And I think it was once I realized that you can't actually get better. It's not, it's not necessarily a skill you have to be born with. And once I started learning things that for me were a massive eye opener and for me, storytelling was, was the thing that changed the way fundamentally that I presented. I, I was just so delighted that I'd found something that worked that I wanted to share it with everyone. And so I just started by hosting what, I don't know if you call them brown bags over in the US, but, you know, sort of lunchtime sessions for people to join where I would share what I had learned and help them to apply it in their role. And these went quite well and people would 
started to say, you know, oh, can you do it for our group or can you do it for our team? And then it was the executives that wanted the, the training, the lead, you know, the technology leadership. And it just started to sort of snowball from there. I didn't really have any intention to do it as a career. But then I got asked to go to India and China to train our technology teams in India and China on the art of storytelling so I did that and I did a number of workshops and I think it was when I was in China last year in April I was posting about what I was doing and I got an email or a message on LinkedIn from someone that said would you possibly coach me on storytelling and I'm happy to pay you and I remember sitting there in China receiving this LinkedIn email thinking what someone wants to pay me to coach them like this is absurd (laughs) um you know equally surprised and delighted at the same time and I obviously had to think about, well, what am I going to charge? I have no idea. Like, what, I don't even have a pricing structure. And so I did, I, you know, I came up with a price and I sent it back to the lady and the lady said, you know, fine, absolutely, and we had a session. And I think it was from that moment onwards that I realized perhaps there is a business out there for me in this. And I think it was just perfect timing with work that our bank was going through a massive restructure at the time and we had three options put on the table to to all of us. We could either apply for our job along with about 5,000 other people that would be given the same opportunity. We could apply for another job or we could take a package. And because I'd been there 11 years, obviously the package was quite substantial and I had to think about it and of course I I didn't feel ready at the time to leave because I think this was only a month or so after that lady had written me that email I thought no I can do it if I don't leave now I'm never gonna leave and I spent I think about six months trying to build up my business and my thinking around how my services would work and then in December last year I left the bank and started my own business at the start of this calendar year. And honestly, I I literally am that person now that wakes up every day and just thinks like pinch myself. I can't believe I actually get paid to do this. I love my <laughs> job. <laughs> That's such a fascinating story from the little girl that was hiding under the beanbag to uh, taking the parachute and, and jumping off the edge of the cliff. Yeah, exactly. And I, when are you writing a book? Uh, I don't know. I'll I'll let you know. Not nothing in the pipeline, but I think for me. So I'm getting paid to fly to Sydney in a couple of weeks to speak to a women in tech group about why women aren't that confident presenting and things like that. And and I was just thinking about that, like how far. I've come and in the hope that it inspires other people that may also feel like I lack the confidence or I'm, you know, I'll I'll never be able to get up and speak at a conference or something like that is that as long as you keep making little incremental steps, you'll definitely get there, I think is the, the thing that I would say to people. Absolutely. And uh, that's something that Warren Buffett says, I believe it was Warren Buffett who says that uh, when it comes to learning more and, and doing things, it's the, the trickle method that gets you the furthest. You do a little bit every day yes. and it, it 
compounds interest and it just grows and grows and grows. Yeah. And uh, your story about being in kindergarten really resonated with me because I just, uh, my two-year-old son just started uh, pre-K yeah. and he's also somewhat shy around, especially <laughs> around other kids. Yeah. And uh, now I'm thinking about, oh, okay, in a few years, I'm going to have to uh, sign him up for a public speaking course. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> definitely. That's the thing though, is that the more you can expose someone to something early on and, and make it be a good experience, the better. I think one of the things that happened to me, and I'm, I'm sure some of your listeners would have had a similar experience, is that you get pushed too early into something that's very much outside of your comfort zone and it creates such a bad association that then the next time that you do it, you're you know, unnecessarily nervous. So I got asked to present to our, essentially the the group information security governance committee for our bank. And yeah, I just, I I wasn't prepared. I think I'd only started in the role a month earlier. And then when I got in or about to walk into the room, my boss said the CIO is in a particularly bad mood today. I just wanted to let you know. (laughs) And of course my heart sank because I was like, Oh my goodness. Yeah. Let alone the fact that I was already nervous. Now you're making it even worse. (laughs) And um, pretty much I didn't even really get much of an opportunity to talk. They they sort of just like took over anyway. But um, yeah, I think if for, for, for your kids, even if you're a student or anything like that, the, the first few experiences that you have, they need to be good ones and then you're going to have a good association with it and not feel like it's such a big deal. All right, so on to our topic. There's lots of opportunities in tech to do public speaking, whether it's at a conference or if it's just preparing and putting on a presentation for uh, your team, doing a training or even a big morning, uh, sorry, or even a big meeting with the board of directors. All of these things are very stressful and I'm actually starting to sweat a little bit just thinking about all those situations at the (laughs) same time. So what are some of your uh, pieces of advice that you would give to help people learn how to do this better, get more comfortable preparing for it and get more in the zone and more comfortable actually presenting? Oh, there's so many things. In terms of feeling comfortable to be able to present, there's I sort of see it in, in two different elements. One is you have to have the skills and then two is you have to work on your mindset. Now, what I mean by that is If you don't feel like you have a highly engaging presentation that's been tailored to your specific audience, that gives them value, that answers the questions that that they may have and is going to be delivered in a compelling way and you feel like you remember what you're saying, etc., there's no way you can get up and deliver that confidently. So that's what I mean by the skills side of it. And then what I mean by mindset is for some people, even if you have a killer presentation and you've done all that work to pull something amazing together, some people will still get nervous. So uh, in terms of the actual skills side of it, that's where doing something like a public speaking course or Toastmasters or getting a coach can really help you to figure out 
how to pull together an amazing presentation. My top tips in regards to that would be, number one would be to think about the objective of your presentation before you're presenting. So commonly what I see a lot of people doing is they will go straight to, say, PowerPoint and they will sort of download all the information that they're wanting to impart and they will be approaching it just from a view that they're wanting to either convince, uh, sorry, not convince people, they're, they're, they're thinking about that they're wanting to just inform people. That's actually not correct. You're almost always wanting to influence some sort of behavior change and if you're wanting to inform people you're generally sort of just going to download a whole heap of information and I'll give you an example so when I used to look after the risk team at the bank we looked after a toolkit that project managers would complete when they're about to implement a new solution, a new technology solution as an example. And we would make incremental changes to that toolkit. And I would sometimes have to go and present to these project managers about the changes. Now, when I didn't know any better, I would just go and present to them thinking, I'm just there to tell them about these changes. I didn't really think about it from their perspective and think about what do they really want to know about this? What sort of information should I be imparting and what are they going to even do with this information? So you really need to think about not what information you have and what information you want to share, but what what does your audience want to know and what are you trying to influence them to do? So that would be my first thing. And if I was going to give one other tip in terms of the skills side of things, it would be to learn the art of storytelling. I could, and I think we talked about this in in the previous uh, session where we recorded in Dubai, in that I could talk literally for an hour on storytelling, but storytelling is, it helps your audience relate to your information better than facts and figures. It's easier for your audience to remember than facts and figures. And it's been shown by, through many studies, to be much more influential for your audience. So... They would be my top two tips in terms of the skills. So define your objective and get better at storytelling. Then with regards to mindset, the first thing that I would say is, I don't know if everyone knows of this fact, but we have 80,000 thoughts a day. And for a lot of people, when they are anxious about public speaking or they're fearful of public speaking, they will generally have some negative thoughts going on in their mind. Even you were just saying before, like your heart's racing even thinking about it. So if people are going to get up and present or even if they're being just being asked to present in the future, some negative thoughts will be swirling in their mind, you know, oh, shit, you know, what am I going to do? Oh, that's going to go terribly. Oh, I don't want to stuff up, etc. If you're focusing on the negative, your mind is going to actually give you more of that negative, if that makes sense. So one massive thing around mindset is to visualize what you want to occur, not what you don't want to occur. So if you, let's just say you don't want to forget what you're saying, you need to be thinking about, I will have perfect clarity around what I'm saying. So just put yourself in a good mindset beforehand and there's, I mean, there's many ways that you can do this. Some people also choose to do meditation, which I would highly recommend. And then 
one other thing would be breathing. So I think when we get a bit nervous, even whether it's public speaking or something like a sporting event, you tend to breathe a lot shallower than when you're in a normal situation and you're not anxious. So it's about remembering to breathe and either using some breathing techniques or just taking a few deep breaths and trying to make sure that you're actually getting enough oxygen to your brain because if you don't you can't actually think clearly and that's what causes some people to actually just totally blank out up on stage it's probably a problem as well for those of us like myself who tend to talk fast during presentations you don't stop and take a breath and so therefore your brain doesn't have enough oxygen to remember everything you're supposed to say (laughs) it's almost a catch-22 exactly and i mean the other thing about that is that People need to be able to catch up to what you're saying as well. So it's almost for everything in public speaking, if there's a benefit for you as the speaker, there's generally a benefit for the audience as well. And, yeah, I went to a a presentation the other day and there was a person presenting and they were talking really, really fast. And it's it's actually really hard to follow and listen to. And it's almost like an assault on the senses, if you know what I mean. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's it's difficult to retain a lot of that information, I imagine, as well. Yeah. I, I mean, I like to think about it. It's almost like when you read, if you read an article online and it had no paragraphs and no spaces, it was just a literal massive chunk of text for, say, you know, a, a couple of A4 pages. You just wouldn't even read it. Or you'd have to keep sort of rereading and remember where you are and what have you. And it'd be very hard to digest that information. So it's the same with the presentation. You need to go slow enough that, so that people can actually follow and listen, especially because they can't ask you to repeat yourself. Oh, for sure. Mm. I find it helpful personally to watch uh, Google or Microsoft keynotes or Apple keynotes. Pay attention to their slides and their presentation styles. One thing that has stuck with me for the last two years is um, I believe it was IO, Google's IO conference. The CEO Sundar uh, got on stage and he was talking about the, the new initiatives that they're working on. And he's got this whole emotional thing going ahead of video and it's pulling at the heartstrings. Mm. And all of a sudden it hit me. There's nothing. Nothing on his slides. Yeah. They're just one big, bold, bright, beautiful photo, mm-hmm. maybe with one word on it. Yeah. And everything else, which I was internalizing and, you know, feeling emotion towards the story that they were telling. It was something for those with disabilities and, and, you know, accessibility features, things like that. And I was totally swept up in it. And there was almost no information on his slides. And mm. I realized that that is... You know, that's the way to go. And I started seeing at the other conferences I was going to also, the real high-level speakers, they were doing the same thing. Yes. Oh, 100%. If, I swear if I could do one thing to improve the, the world's presentations, it would be to kill PowerPoint only because people misuse it. <laughs> I do think it can be very powerful if it's used properly. Yes, I agree, but I I would say 95% of people don't use it properly and I think it's it's almost started bad behaviors and people people just present in a totally fundamentally different way in a corporate landscape than they do when they're actually talking to people. Mhm. 
Yeah, conversations sound completely different. Exactly. Like if you and I were in the same country and we went for a coffee, as an example, and you said, I know, yeah, I've heard that you are a public speaking coach. Please give me some public speaking tips. Imagine if I pulled out a massive showreel presentation pack and spent the whole time looking at my slides and then looking back at you and distracting you with competing information that was on my slides and that, that I was saying. And then I talked at you without even letting you ask a question. And then at the end of it, I sort of said, okay, and that's it. (laughs) It would just be the weirdest thing. It would be hilarious, albeit not very effective. It would be hilarious. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I think it's the same. I think in – I heard a statistic the other day in – just in general conversation, 65% of it is made up of stories and gossip and – when we then go into a corporate world and go into a presentation, almost none of it is stories and, well, not that you want to say gossip in a presentation, but <laughs> if people prefer to talk in terms of stories and what happened and, you know, tell me a bit about the situation, people don't want to be talked at with bullet points and boring black and white slides so yeah I think what you said about the visual element of slides it's so much more interesting and visually pleasing and it it gives another dimension to words and that's really what you want to do with public speaking you want to there's the words that you're conveying then there's the voice so just like a comedian can really entertain you with how they talk and their pace and their pauses then there's your gestures which provides a third dimension because you can support what you're saying with your hands and yeah then the visual aids is the fourth dimension so you don't want to just put words on there because that's not adding something in addition to what you're saying hands is something i struggle with i look like an air traffic controller when i present with my hands (laughs) oh do you (laughs) yeah some people just do the same gesture over and over I, i don't do the same gesture they're all over the place i get really into what i'm saying and i'm just you know i'm directing air traffic it's terrible <laughs> if it's is it appropriate though for what you're for the words that you're using are you are you almost mimicking out what you're saying is that what you're saying perhaps that's the hope anyway <laughs> yeah yeah Actually, there's a funny video that I share with my clients sometimes of a comedian. I don't know if you know of his name. His name's David Armand. Uh, they put him on a talk show where they get him to mime to a specific song in front of two people and an audience, but the two people have headphones on, meant to be noise-cancelling headphones, so they're not, not meant to be able to hear the song. But by watching him mime out these songs, they're meant to guess what the song is. Now, the reason I love it, apart from it being completely hilarious, is that he's miming in real time to that song and he mimes every single word. Whoa. And, I mean, one is extremely talented to be able to do that, but it really I use it as a bit of inspiration to people who think that they can't have any gestures in their 10 to 20-minute talk. It's like, yes, you can. Obviously, that's taking it you know, on the total other edge of the scale. But I find when people watch it, they get some ideas about how they can actually appropriately gesture 
for the words that they're saying to help people understand and follow along. I'm going to have to look that up after this. That sounds awesome. Yeah. So let me ask you a question that I've been I've been dying to ask this whole time is what do I do about ums? Thankfully, I can edit my podcasts and cut out all of my ums, but I have an um problem. Oh, okay. Actually, I have found that to be fairly easy to resolve. So I had an um problem as well, like most people. And when I started Toastmasters, the first thing that happened was they identified them. So when you go to Toastmasters, they actually count your ums and ahs, and they'll give you a, a number at the end of your talk. So, so there's actually one person dedicated to counting your ums and ahs and recording them. So, so firstly, you need to identify how bad the problem is. And is it just say at the start of when you're presenting, when you're nervous and then you don't do it, or do you do it almost every time you're thinking of a word? Some people do it every four words. Some people just do it occasionally when they just have forgotten, you know, the word. So that's number one. You need to identify. Number two, the best tip that I can give is what I did. So I realized that I actually said ums and ahs in my general conversation. It wasn't isolated to talking and presentations. And I think for most people, it's the same. You either say ums and ahs, you know, all the time, or you don't say them at all. And what I found was that I was able to stop myself in general conversation. This was also with the help of my closest friends and colleagues and parents. And once I could, it it literally only took really about a week of pulling myself up when I was, let's just say, talking to my parents on the phone or when I was chatting with friends one-to-one. If I noticed that I was saying an um and ah, I'd be like, oop, <laughs> and I would be conscious about it. And after I cut it out from general conversation, it actually didn't translate through into presentations anymore. So that's the advice I give my clients is, It's very hard if you're going to have to try and wait until you next present or when you next do an interview or what have you to try and stop them if you're continually doing them in your general day-to-day conversation. It's so much easier to stop them in your general conversation, try and become aware of it. For me, it it was quite easy, but I don't know, for some other people, perhaps you might need a trigger to try and remember when you're saying it or a post-it note or something like that or get employ other people to pull you up if they notice that you're doing it <laughs> employ the uh, the rubber band trick you wear a rubber band and every time you say um yeah, somebody yeah, snaps yeah. it on your wrist yeah exactly honestly though once you're aware of it it's actually really obvious like you know when you you decide that you're having a baby or you buy a particular car and you see it everywhere it's the same with ums and ahs once you're actually conscious about it you can hear every single time you do one and then you, it's easy to pull yourself up. It's an excellent approach. I'm going to have to give that a shot. Now, is there a difference between how you would prepare to present to, say, a board or a board meeting uh, as opposed to a training or as opposed to at a conference? In a way, but not. They'd be more similar than they would be different. So for any of those, so a board meeting, I think you said a presentation or a conference. Mm-hmm. Training or a conference, yeah. Yeah, training or a conference. So the probably the only one that I would say that might be different is the training one because a training session is probably going to be longer than a board presentation or a conference. 
but if it's say I don't know between five minutes and an hour that you're going to present for, you you definitely you probably only have one objective that you're wanting to get across. You would have a structure of a simple three things maximum that you're going to cover, and you would know like. So you would no doubt need slides and things like that. So I would actually approach them in exactly the same way, even though your audience is different, your topic would be different, et cetera. But the the approach would be the same. Training would be a little bit different in that if a training session, say, goes for three hours or four hours, you need to work a lot harder to keep people's attention and you actually need to build in a whole lot more audience interaction and potential workshop time than you would in the others because no one likes to go to a one-way download for over an hour it's just not the way that we best learn and I think that's what people sometimes forget is that maybe if they think they're getting paid to do some training that they need to be the one giving a whole lot of value they need to be the one up the front talking the whole time in fact you need to show people, not tell them, and let them experience things for themselves rather than just telling them something is so. So that's why I say training is a little bit different and you need to make sure that you're building in a whole heap of interactive elements and time for people to really truly put into practice what you're talking about. Okay, so the structure is the same. You're still conveying a story. You're still starting at the top and working your way through the important information, perhaps even repeating important facts, you know, going back and reviewing. um, And then for a training, a bit more demo time, a bit more uh, interaction time. Yeah, exactly. Because so I'll give you an example. I am doing a workshop a one and a half hour storytelling workshop on Monday and then in a bit more than a week I'm presenting a one hour talk. So the, they will be different in the way that I prepare for them in that the training will, I will actually have, sorry, the, the, the storytelling workshop, I will actually be getting the people to put into practice the storytelling techniques that I have and they will be doing a live pitch at the end where they will all be telling a story and we will be voting for the the most creative the the best story so it's always good to give people a chance to actually put it into practice and i found people love a little bit of competition as well this is true <laughs> yeah we actually had a uh, public storyteller at our first tab Geeks conference and she did something similar uh to kind of help people with this issue of needing to do a presentation or whatnot and uh her session she actually did the same thing she had people just get up and say okay well what's what's the scenario that you've been in and it's like well i have to present this new a solution to the boss and I need to make sure that it goes well. And there's three other people in the room and, you know, they all, they all have different uh, concerns and she helped him craft his statement, his presentation uh, around the goals that he was trying to accomplish. And, and it was actually very popular. So we're going to have to maybe bring that back. Yeah, absolutely. Because people want to see it in action. They want to see what what potentially are you saying not to do and then what are you saying to do and put it into context and into my world. 
And that's exactly what it sounds like that lady did and that's exactly what I would recommend is that it's like if I tried to teach someone how to ride a ride a unicycle, ride a bike, anything like that, and I just told people how to ride a bike and never got anywhere on the actual bike, you're, you would have no confidence that you could actually ride the bike, would you? Uh, no, none at all. In fact, I probably might not even try. Yeah, exactly. But if I, if I say I'll, I'll show you how to do it and have a go here in a safe environment and I can tell you what potentially you might be doing wrong or what you might want to focus on and you can do the rest in your own time, then it's so much more powerful. Now, if people want to go out and continue practicing this and learning more about this, what other resources are out, are out there for uh, for people to either read, if you have any book recommendations or uh, TED Talks, or I believe last time you mentioned uh, Simon Sinek, did I pronounce that right, uh, has a TED Talk on this? Yeah, so, I mean, TED Talks as a whole, I would highly recommend for people. It's, it's literally the best of the best, and they – you can actually find online the TED Commandments, which is quite interesting. It's the 10 things that every TED Talker has to abide by and there's things in there like they have to be vulnerable, they have to tell a story, they have to stick to the time, they have to share a unique idea, etc. And because they are so strict on how people present, you you always get a good level of quality. So I would highly recommend if people are wanting to learn the art of public speaking is to look at TED Talks. Simon Sinek is my favorite TED Talk of all time. It's called How Great Leaders Inspire Action. And speaking about visual aids, he actually doesn't use any slides at all. He only uses a flip chart. And I think his talk has been viewed over 25 million times. And so that in itself is proof that you don't need a lot of slides to make a very impactful presentation. In fact, he uses he uses questions and repetition very, very well. So check it out if you've never seen it. The other thing would be if you have a Toastmasters club near you and they're all over the world, then I would highly recommend to check that out because you have an opportunity to go there and learn you know, around a supportive environment and actually practice and get feedback. And then one of the other things that I have really enjoyed around storytelling is moth story slam events. Now, they're also held all over the world. It's not just something that's done in Australia. And essentially, they take a topic every month and you can put your hat in the ring to deliver a five-minute story. It has to be true. It has to have an element of surprise and it has to relate to the topic. But it's just fascinating to see how different people approach the same topic with very different stories. So they would be my top things I would recommend to people. I have quite a few different books that I have read from the organizers of TED Talks. So really anything out there on Amazon around TED Talks is amazing in terms of giving great techniques and also having a lot of stories within the books. It's uh, all excellent pieces of advice and I'm going to have to go and look some up uh, myself so that I can continue working on this. Now, before we wrap up, is there any other pieces of advice that you would like to share with our listeners? I think the biggest thing is just to keep 
practicing. So if this is something that you want to master and you want to get better at and you may be right at the bottom of the skill level or you might be able to present to 2,000 people quite confidently but you just still want to keep better, so still keep wanting to get better, I would just say to keep practicing, put, keep putting yourself out there and every time you present, if you don't already, I would analyse what you believe you're doing well and where you can improve. There, there's almost no way that there's no room for improvement. So everyone can keep improving and you generally have an idea of where you need to keep improving, especially if you're utilising the resources that I have described and you're getting inspiration from some of the best storytellers or the best public speakers. All right. I'll definitely have to give that a shot. Folks, continue the conversation by joining the Tab Geeks Slack community. There's no sponsors and no assholery allowed. That's at tabgeeks.com forward slash Slack. Follow us on Twitter as well. I'm Mr. J. Nolan, N-O-W-L-I-N. Emily is E-M-I-L-Y underscore Edgley, E-D-G-E-L-E-Y. Did I get that right? Yes. And uh, folks, if you're interested in learning more about the Tab Geeks conference, head over to tabgeeks.com for the whole community, as well as uh, tabgeeks.com forward slash TG20 for this year's conference coming up in April. Emily, this has been absolutely fantastic. Thank you very much for coming on again. The second time was uh, is usually better, and in this, this time flowed much more naturally <laughs> as well. So uh, thanks for bearing with us and, and coming back and doing this again. I appreciate it. No problem. Thank you so much for having me. It's great, great again. All right, folks, uh, let us know what you think about all the resources, and uh, we'll see you next time.